0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDSC.
1: TheBookshop.com did if your book was a business book, what would it be? And I got Princess Leia, and I was like, my life is complete. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private
0: sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome and thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to bring you this special episode and share my conversation with Eliza Van Court. Eliza is an unapologetic space claimer that describes herself as a speaker, mentor, a rule breaker, and an author. She's the founder of the Actors Workshop in Ithaca, New York, and a Cookhouse Fellow at Cornell University, which is where I earned my certificate in Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. She's a best-selling author that has thrived through unspeakable tragedy. And on top of all that, she's a huge Star Trek fan.
1: I see my own evolution as a feminist when I watch the show.
0: You are really going to appreciate her insight into Counselor Troy, And after talking with her, I'll never look at Belana Torres the same. So join Eliza and me as we talk about women in Star Trek and how powerful this incredible franchise is. I love to hear people's Star Trek origin stories. There are so many ways to find this show. Eliza dives right in and shows off her Trek street cred.
1: I love Star Trek. Um, my ex-husband and I, John paul Mead, um, we used to watch it religiously. And I think I watched, I did not watch the first one, I will be honest, um, but I read William Shatner's book. Um, <laughs> so I feel like I almost did, um, but I watched all of Next Gen. I actually saw uh, Jean-Luc as we like to call him, not Patrick Stewart. I saw him um, in Shakespeare in the park in New York, back in the day when he did The Tempest and and went arm over arm with, with a rope, not using his legs to the top of this gigantic... I mean, he was such a badass. Um, and then I watched uh, you know, Next Gen and uh, Deep Space Nine and um, all of them. So yeah, I love it.
0: Sir Patrick, Jean-Luc Picard doing Shakespeare in the park. <laughs> How cool is that? Well, honestly, not nearly as cool as this very personal story that she shares next
1: we actually had a joke between my ex and i that um he could cheat with deanna troy if she came down from space and i could cheat with Worf. <laughs> that was our past that shows how nerdy we were
0: i love it a relationship grounded in star trek i asked my partner who her star trek hall pass would be and she said what do you mean I only get one? (laughs) But she landed on Ash Tyler. Yeah, I, uh, I can't really argue with that, but I couldn't really decide who mine would be. I mean, I already have the perfect partner and can't imagine ever wanting a hall pass. I gently steered the conversation to my favorite captain, Catherine Janeway. And this led to a fascinating talk about the excruciating schedules that actors have to keep.
1: She was an awesome captain. Do you know, I'm sure you know the story that she wasn't the original person cast. Yeah, no, she's a badass. She was such a good captain. I was so impressed with her and the fact that she went in there. I mean, as somebody who did 20 years of training actors and knows people in the business, I know how rigorous that schedule is and she you know what they do on that show it's amazing because people don't understand you know you talk about being in makeup for hours i mean i have a former student who was actually on robin williams last show um the crazy ones and she sat next to him in makeup every day and they were in makeup for quite some time and they didn't do because she was one of the series regulars they didn't do this you know what you know they didn't have cling on foreheads and all and it still is time consuming. You know, so you're sitting there in makeup forever and doing all. Of, it's really, I mean, the women who did, you know, uh, all of the like Seven of Nine and um, Lieutenant Torres and all of those, they had a lot of work they had to do on top of their normal stuff.
0: The conversation quickly began to focus on the way women of color are often, well, dehumanized in TV and on movie roles.
1: But yeah, there is a history of women of color being completely turned into non-women and, you know, not treated the same way that white women are put up on pedestals and, and women of color are, are considered. I mean, historically, they were they were actually put in the role of animals you know, and non-humans. And so, you know, it doesn't surprise me that Jerry Ryan was, you know, her whole identity was her beauty and what she, her sexuality and Torres, you know, they didn't see her as much of as a sexual and feminine being, you know, and, you know, her last name's Torres and, you know, they're all, so it wasn't, you know, and what, who do they have as the kind of more masculine women characters, browner women,
0: but wasn't Torres or, or the way they wrote for her different? Not only did they find a way to accommodate Roxanne Dawson's pregnancy in the fourth season, but then she and Tom Paris were married and she had their kid.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny that you bring up that part because in my acting class, we teach cold reading skills and the scene with her. And I can't. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I can't remember the, the name of her character, But the scene with her and her um, husband and how she wanted to change the kids so it wouldn't look like a Klingon, that scene, I use that scene as a cold reading all the time. I could quote that scene like, you know. It's just fascinating. And she talks about how her father rejected her and all of these things. It's really it's I I remember that scene. It was such a beautifully written scene. And I was like, I'm gonna use this to train my actors. It was so good.
0: In a few minutes, we talk about how even though Torres was a wife and a mother, she was desexualized compared to other women on the ship. Before we get to that though, Eliza shared some profound thoughts on the power and impact of Star Trek that honestly honestly make me really proud to be a fan of this show
1: well yeah and 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 it was going back to the idea of you know do you assimilate I mean that that Star Trek deals with so many issues in deep and profound ways that they did way before other people were doing it I mean they had a genderless planet before we were even talking about gender fluidity they were so smart the way that they did so many of these things and I, that was one of the things I really loved about. It. I mean, the fact that Patrick Stewart is such an advocate for Amnesty International, and he did that whole thing on torture. You know, they've always been ahead of their time, and the fact that they had Ojoro have the first Uhura have the first interracial kiss ever. You know, it's
0: incredible. Many of us have heard about the legendary meeting between Nichelle Nichols and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Right? I mean, after the first season, she was thinking of leaving the show. They met, I think, at a party, and he said to her,
1: "You can't leave." you are the first person who's not a prostitute or a maid. You're here. You're doing this for all of us. And you know, I guess when MLK Jr., (laughs) when Dr. King comes and tells you not to quit, (laughs) you're like, okay, I guess I'm going to stay on the show. But it was a pretty powerful, even though she was in some ways kind of a glamorized secretary in many ways. I mean, she was the most powerful person on the bridge. She wasn't sweeping the floors and she wasn't a prostitute. And back then, You know, that was really the or the or the mammy role, quote unquote. You know, that was what what was available to women of color. And to see her doing that, I think, was transformative for so. I mean, you've heard astronauts who talk about her as inspiration.
0: When we watch classic Star Trek with our more enlightened lenses, it's hard to see how impactful it was for women, but even harder to see are the endless battles that were fought behind the scenes for women to be portrayed as equals and to break gender stereotypes on TV.
1: And the women who were the actors really worked to try to get more power. I mean, that whole thing. And it's interesting. I see my own evolution as a feminist when I watch the show, because I remember when they had Deanna Troy come in, not in her little miniskirt. And I will be honest, I was pissed. (laughs) I was like, Wait a minute i love that miniskirt she's a cool and sexy and then you know as i was watching and then i heard the story of her being like i'm being disrespected like no no person who's an i'm an officer i'm not going to walk around in a damn miniskirt and i started thinking about wow i am so in this culture of women gaining their power and gaining their capital from their looks that i'm respecting her for her awesome body and I'm not realizing that I'm falling into the same crap, you know, that that all of the rest of us are. And, you know, Star Trek had a way of putting a lens up and having you kind of look at it and say, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way. They were always ahead of their time. And that was one of the things I just I just loved about it.
0: Do you think, Eliza, that the fact this was or is science fiction is why they were able to be so progressive? I mean, stuff like this wasn't happening on Cheers or L.A. Law.
1: There's no way they would have gotten away with most of this stuff if they hadn't been like, but it's space. But it's an alien and suddenly we're like, okay, as long as it's an alien, then, you know, or as long as it's 200 years in the future, I guess a black woman can be on the bridge. You know, I guess two women can kiss as long as there is a man living inside the woman. But it did slow. I mean, I have found that it is exposure that changes people's minds. And that's what Star Trek did so well is just expose, expose, expose. I mean, when people talk to me about feminism, the right has done such a good job of basically turning that into a dirty word. And, you know, for me, I'm absolutely embracing that I'm a feminist. And I think it's really important that women and men embrace that identity because really it's just, you know, I believe that everyone should have equal rights and opportunities, you know, and if you don't believe that, then, you know, F off as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really have a lot to, then we can't really even meet at a starting point at that point, you know, but they've learned, they've turned it into you're a crazy feminist bitch and all those things. And Star Trek got around that by, you know, saying, but it's a cyborg. So that's why she doesn't smile all the time. And you know, she used to be a the Borg, part of the Borg collective. And that is why she doesn't smile. There's no way you could get away with a character like that who didn't try to people-please all the time if she hadn't been a part of the poor Collective.
0: There are quite a few dimensions of diversity that we as a society still don't talk about a lot. And one of those is neurodiversity. Put in a very, very oversimplified manner, neurodiversity acknowledges that people's brains work differently. The term neurodivergent is often used to describe people that are not neurotypical. These are generally people with ADHD or on the autism spectrum as examples. In my opinion, one of the strongest examples of the value of neurodiversity comes from someone that I think presents as neurodivergent, and that's seven of nine.
1: Absolutely. I never thought about that. That's really interesting because I have pretty hardcore ADHD, and I always related to her character, even though she couldn't be further from it. But there was something just, you know, and I mean, she was just boom, but there was something very powerful about her, just that she just did not follow the normative expectations of communication at all. That quote, you know, I was looking up uh, the Star Trek women when we started before I came on here to, and I, and I came across this chart of the women and like the famous quotes that they had said, and seven of nine said, remove your hand or I will remove your arm. <laughs> but she didn't say it like she was pissed. She was just like, listen, you're going to lose an arm. So I would recommend you remove your hand. You know, one of the things Deanna Troy, one of the quotes of Deanna Troy, um, feelings aren't positive or negative. It's what you do with those feelings. that becomes good or bad. That's a kind of my theme. Like I, I feel like we have a lot of focus on our society, on feelings and that we sort of have to follow them. And I always think that's just absolutely absurd. I mean, if I followed all my feelings, I would probably have sex and murder people all day long. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't don't follow my feelings all the time because my feelings aren't always, you know, thank God I have a brain to tell me, like, murder is wrong, you know? And so I shouldn't do that. But, and that's one of the cool things about Deanna Troy is, you know, she was not, she was emotional, but she wasn't reactive, which I always thought was very cool. Although I do have to say, there is that ongoing joke about Deanna Troy that, like, sometimes you're like, dude, you don't need to be here. Like, they'd be, like, firing on the ship and she'd be like, captain, I sense frustration. And I'm like, Deanna, they're firing on the ship. Everyone in the bridge senses frustration. <laughs> yeah. But the truth is you would in, a, in an enlightened society, you'd have a shrink on everything and they would be a huge part of everything because they'd be figuring everything out. But yeah, she I love the love story between her and Wharf, though. I, and it made sense to me. It totally made sense to me because I was like, of course, the guy who's taught that he can't feel his feelings is going to be attracted to the woman who's like really good at feeling, figuring out people's feelings. You know, and she also was kind of a she reminded me of Margaret Thatcher, and sometimes where she was like, you know, the the iron fist and the velvet glove. And so I kind of saw why she related to to Worf, but also I happened to have a huge crush on Worf, so that could be part of it. You know, let's be honest. How could you not? I'm not going to get too raunchy here, but I'm just going to say, how could you not and leave it at that?
0: The next generation really did, in its late 80s, early 90s way, start to normalize mental health. And thank you, Eliza, start to normalize interspecies relationships as well. At this point, though, I felt like I might have found a kindred spirit that would also feel like Janeway really is the best Starfleet has to offer in the way of captains. So, So I asked her. Eliza, who is your favorite captain?
1: I did love Jean-Luc. I will say Jean-Luc was my favorite captain. I I just I loved I love Jean Luc. But uh, I I think, you know, I look back on some of the pushback that some of these characters got, like Janeway, everybody hated her voice. And I'm thinking, how many dudes in movies had the weirdest voices ever? And we don't give a crap about it, but she has a voice and it's just like, you just can't stand the fact that she's saying words with opinions. You know, it's so interesting. Like, and I love the way they treat female characters in sci-fi and they, they've always been on the forefront. I mean, even when you go to Alien 2 and that Latinx woman who blows herself up at the end, you, know, you just didn't see characters like that unless they were in space. <laughs> you just did not see badass women in the military with muscles who you wanted to root for them. But people were like, it's okay, it's
0: space. Science fiction allows stories to be told that we wouldn't be able to otherwise. But so what? Why does it matter that we can use sci-fi and art to examine the world differently?
1: I really do believe that art is a vehicle and stories are a vehicle for change. I, I When I give my talks and my workshops, I always make sure to tell stories because... So much of how we learn is through saying, okay, I relate to that experience. And so much of the time where our disconnect happens is where we're like, I don't get that because it never happened to me. And the beauty of the stories is there's really only, you know, six stories that are ever told or something like that. And it's just kind of how you tell them. What Star Trek did so beautifully was really tell stories in such a way that we could say, I see myself in that person. I relate to that person. You know, I related to Counselor Troy heavily um, because I have always been someone who has been very attuned to other people's feelings. And I think for her, sometimes it was hard to be feeling all of these things that other people were feeling. And, you know, there's this whole movement, like I'm on TikTok now. They have this whole movement of people hashtagging empath. Which is really interesting. Um, and a lot of people are talking about how they feel other people's emotional experiences in a very intense way. And I do think different people do feel, I mean, they've done research that trees talk to each other. I mean, if trees can talk to each other, human beings can feel each other's feelings. And seeing Deanna Troy and the struggle that she went through just trying to feel the damn feelings, you know, because she felt so much was really interesting to watch. I actually wish they'd pushed into that more of like what is it like to walk in a room and be bombarded? Because so much of the time human beings spend their time hiding feelings from each other. And Deanna didn't have that option. All of the women who were leaders on on that show had different ways of managing everyone's feelings that were very different than the men, you know. And then we always had like, you know, the prototype of like the the Shatner and you know the 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 Riker, who's just like. I feel nothing. I'm just a cool dude who has a lot of sex, you know. (laughs) Although I do wish they'd had a character who was a counterpoint to that. I would have loved to have seen a really sexual character. I feel like the we had men that were you know going out there and they're like I went on this I went on this planet and I got that lady and this planet got that. I would have loved to have been like, dude, like the D on that planet is. Excellent. I would have loved to have seen like an anti sled shaming character who was just the counterpoint to Riker. It would have been so much fun. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, there's that whole balance, right? Of like, if you're going to be a leader and a woman, you must be non sexual, which is just ridiculous and just silly. You know, I mean, I'm like looking at this chart of, of all the women who were. You know, in Star Trek, I don't think there was a single sexual, like, a woman who was, like, in her sexuality. They made She may have been sexualized, but she wasn't in her sexuality. And that was a very forward-thinking show. I would have loved to have seen, like, Dr. Crusher just crushing it, you know?
0: I can almost see Jadzia Dax filling that role. But even Iris Stephen Bear talked about not pushing the envelope far enough when it came to sexuality on Deep Space Nine. But Eliza is so right here. I mean, of all the women in Star Trek so far, Dax is almost kind of the only one that was comfortable in her sexuality. What are some other franchises that have used sci-fi to dive into sexual expression or or even just life in general with that?
1: For me, every time I see certain kinds of arts, I mean, the Matrix, not to get too off subject of Star Trek, but, you know, the way the mate I, I use the Matrix as my analogy for everything. I always think it's hard to kind of see the world in a very real way, but to me, that's the Ebenezer, like the Ebenezer is dirty and the food sucks, you know, and the matrix is slick and clean, but like the Ebenezer is real. And I'd rather be in the real and really see things as they are than put my head in the sand and just live it plugged in. So for me, you know, when I give my talks, I'm always like, who's seen the matrix? And it's crazy. I go to MIT every year and work with the Office of Minority Education. Every year, less and less kids have seen the matrix. I'm like, how can you not have seen the matrix? It's amazing. I remember showing it to a group of kids, and there was one kid who it was pretty clear to me that he was probably queer. He's from a, and it was kind of in a conservative area and they were all watching it. And all the other boys were just kind of like, I don't know. And this kid was in it. And I was like, yeah, of course you are because you're living that every day. And, And that's, I mean, that's what these things do. Like, these are our stories. These are what get us through, I mean, art and stories and you know things like star trek giving the hope of possibility that maybe one day we'll live in a world without hunger you know without hatred all of these things that's why i love star trek you know one day maybe just maybe this could be real
0: hope it really captures why so many people love star trek i mean it it's why i do it gives hope and it shows us better future for everyone but it takes more than idealism to really affect change i mean that's where change starts but it takes action in star trek they put some guardrails in place so that other civilizations could go through their idealism they could follow their own journey it's controversial but the prime directive is what does this Starfleet is able to take the actions it needs to maintain a hope-filled future without taking advantage of or interfering with developing cultures. I asked Eliza what she thought about the prime directive.
1: Like if everybody followed the damn prime directive, we wouldn't have war. You know, we would have so the. the I mean, and I know there are sort of ethical problems with the prime directive, which I have given quite a bit of thought to. But um, but I do think that overall, don't mess with with countries that aren't ready to be messed with. Stay away wait till they're ready to engage with them because that stops you from pillaging their resources. It stops you from cultural appropriation. It stops you from all of these terrible things that happen when you know people think that they know best. And that's what the prime directive protects you from is this idea that you know best.
0: Hi there, cadets. In our last episode, where we watched discoveries, choose your pain, we talked about the incredible performance review that Saru set up for himself. Well, I created a tool to help you do the same thing for yourself. For your free copy of this tool, visit jeffaiken.com and join our mailing list. You'll get access to a copy that you can download for yourself and for your team. Just visit Jeffaiken.com and join the mailing list. Thanks.
1: I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region.
0: Eliza started a number of businesses and has done a lot of work to develop leaders within the groups she works with, as well as in other organizations. So considering she's talking with me, of course, of course, we start talking about leadership lessons we can find in Star Trek. I really like and appreciate the points that she brings up here.
1: And even the leadership styles, the way that they do it, they always had a number one. Nobody was ever like, I'm just the dude and I know everything, and I'm just gonna make all my decisions without any input from any input from anyone else. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna go hard here until the you know, like Trump. Great example of who would be a shitty Star Trek captain, because he would be like, number one, and the number would be like, that's a bad idea. And he'd be like, fuck off. These people were able to understand that there were people that knew more than them. Good leaders, like good, good leaders know what they don't know. I mean, one of the things I've been most proud of when I have built my businesses has been that I'm acutely aware of what I don't know. And that has allowed me to be a better leader. And if I if I thought I knew everything, I'd be so screwed because like I tend, for example, I tend to be very impulsive. You know, I like to just, I'm like, oh, here's an idea, let's do it. Woo, let's go. And my um two other people are my instructors at my school, Katie Spallone and David Kosak, you know, they're always like, Okay, let's make sure nothing is gonna be on fire after. Like let's like sew down just a little. And it made such a big difference because, you know, I, I have a lot of big ideas and I'm going, going, but sometimes, you know, you need to step back and think them through. And so having people around you that fill in your gaps and you fill in their gaps, is just, it's really how you can build any good organization. And, and Star Trek showed that I mean, literally everyone on Star Trek had a role. It was a masterclass in so many things. And I I, I wish that there were more shows out there that really had a overarching vision and desire to make systemic change because i actually i think that art has a responsibility to understand the import of the stories that it's telling because that's how we learn our life we i mean our learn we learn through our stories and you know when i wrote my book that's why i didn't just say okay do this 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 and this i would say this happened to me and here's the big idea behind it and now here are some tips you can use to do x y and z Because I feel like if you just talk about what to do and you don't let people have an emotional connection to it, they're never going to buy in.
0: I have really enjoyed this conversation. Eliza Van Court is an incredible human being, and I feel like a better person just for having spent time with her.
1: Well, you can find me on my website, which is ElizaVanCourt.com. There's no U in court, V-A-N-C-O-R-T. And um, you can, and I want to say in the beginning, you shouted out to my website, I had the most amazing people working on my website, I just have to say. And if anyone's interested in knowing more information, let me know because I will refer you to them. And uh, I'm also doing a lot of TikToking now. My youngest son said, you should TikTok. And my daughter said, don't embarrass me, good Lord in heaven, please don't TikTok. Okay, I'm just going to listen to my youngest son. And he's like, mom, you don't understand. TikTok will be awesome. And I've been doing it and it's been going really well. And I've been taking little bits of my book and just putting them on tiktok and little digestible bits definitely check me out on tiktok uh social media i should have a business page on facebook i don't i'm going to get around to it but at this point if you want to connect you can connect with me on my personal page or instagram which i'm not that active on or linkedin um but i love connecting with people who've heard my stuff you do this because you love it and you really believe in your message so You know, if you're, um, if you get my book and you have questions, every single person who asks me a question, I love answering it and I would be more than happy. You can also learn more about my work and I go into organizations and I give talks on communication, women's empowerment, DEI, you know, addressing whiteness directly. And I will say a lot of my work was inspired by some of the wonderful things that we've talked about in this podcast. So um, yeah. But because I really do believe we can live in a better world. I, that is my unshakable belief is that there is hope for the future. We just each have to commit to it. And um, that's what Star Trek's all about. And that's what my work's all about. Command codes
0: verified. What a cool conversation. I want to give a shout out to LC, a friend of mine that connected us. LC hosts the Boundless Heart podcast, a podcast that empowers women into shameless self respect independence, and equal partnership. Thanks for connecting us, LC. I wanna talk about three things Eliza discussed here. Hope, art as a way of affecting change, and the dynamics of women in leadership roles.
1: The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast.
0: The recent Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast episode on Voyager Basics talked about the importance of hope and how leaders must always spread it. Without hope, there really isn't much reason to continue on, right? I really appreciate how Eliza described the way Star Trek gives us hope. It paints a picture of a better future for us, but, but honestly, in a really, really realistic way. One of the things that I've come to deeply appreciate about Star Trek is that in order to get to the utopia that we see on TV, we have to go through World War III. We have to go through the bell riots. Living in the world that we all live in today, these feel—I don't know—this feels a little, maybe a little too possible. But what's important is that we still, we still have hope. As leaders. This is what we do. It doesn't have to come from Star Trek. I mean, it's super cool if it does, but hope can come from a lot of places. Most importantly, though, we have to share that hope. Paint a picture where we'll have a better future. Eliza walked us through the ideals of Starfleet and the Federation, like like the Prime Directive, and how if we just followed these simple ideals, well, maybe a little more complex ideals, but if we followed them... We can move closer to that ideal future that Trek provides. And when I think of painting pictures, I I think of this, what we just talked about, you know, developing, casting, and communicating a vision that we all want to move towards. My partner, on the other hand, would literally paint a picture. And that's honestly because she is wildly, wildly more talented than I am. But the cool thing is that both, both are fine and both are needed. Created art like a painting or a book or a TV show or or even a podcast can be so effective in encouraging change. I mean, that's literally what I do with the Starfleet Leadership Academy. I create this thing that that I like to think of as art to entertain you, but also to help you become a better leader. And why, why would I care if you're a better leader or not? Well, because I want change. I want the future, the hope that Star Trek shows us. So so I use my art to help move that dream forward. I really appreciate how Eliza just, just said this. She outright said that art has an obligation to affect change. You can use this just as I do to help encourage change with your teams and sphere of influence. Quote, Quote books or movies or, or podcasts to make your point. Use a picture or a video to really illustrate something you're communicating. You don't need to be an artist to artfully use art to make a difference. In addition to just being a super cool person, I was excited to talk with Eliza and share our conversation with you because she is shining a light on a truth that needs all of the light in the world on it. Women have been marginalized, patronized, ignored, and cheated for far too long. With her experience in theater, TV, and working with actors, Eliza has such a unique insight into how so many of our stereotypes and prejudices are just, just part of TV. I learned so much as she was talking about Roxanne Dawson as Bilana Torres and Marina Surtees as Deanna Troy. I mean, honestly, as a heterosexual white dude, I never I never really took the time to notice this on television. But since she's shared it with me and brought it forward, oh, I see it everywhere. As leaders and as people of influence, we are obligated to help women create space for themselves and thrive in that space. For me, this means not only being a strong ally, but also having the humility to ask questions. As someone that grew up in a culture that that honestly still saw men as superior to women, I mean, <laughs> I served on a submarine, as many of you know, right? We were an all-male crew because, God forbid, a woman sacrifice her personal dignity and risk her life that far under the sea. And we had, when I was serving, we had a, we had an inspection coming up where two of the inspectors were women. We all, the whole crew, had to go through two weeks of training on how to conduct ourselves around women. It was embarrassing. But what was even more embarrassing was that we actually needed that training. Anyway, for a guy like me that grew up in that culture, my natural inclination is to swoop in and save the day when the women I work with or or the people that are transgender or non-binary are in some kind of trouble. But that is so patronizing and insulting to do so instead I ask I simply ask how I can help if they need my help at all and this isn't this isn't me just randomly reaching out to people and asking how I can help these are team members that I'm meeting with for for one-on-ones for for quarterly reviews and things like that and what all this ultimately does is help To create a space where everyone can bring their whole selves to the table. As women, my team members no longer have to worry about what I or their colleagues will think of them. There won't be this this underlying power differential that may not exist on paper, but exists because of our genders. Listen, I'm, I'm honestly doing a pretty bad job, I think, explaining all of this. But the cool thing is, it's not really just up to me to explain it. I just have to do it. We have Eliza Van Court that can explain it. Go buy her book. Listen to her speak. She invited you to reach out to her on social media. So, so do it. I have yet to meet anyone that is so driven, so motivated, and so effective in helping women be their whole, complete, and authentic selves. All of these links will be in the show notes, but go out and follow Eliza. She's on Twitter and Instagram as Eliza Van Court. No U. that's C-O-R-T. And you can also find her on TikTok where she is totally rocking it. Head to her website, ElizaVanCourt.com, and you can get everything else from there. And I cannot encourage this enough. Go buy her book, A Woman's Guide to Claiming Space. Every bit of her personality comes through in the book and there is life-changing wisdom in it. And hey, you can follow me too. I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast and you can follow me on all the social media at Jeff T. Akin. That's Jeff T. as in TED Talk, A-K-I-N. And you should totally join us in the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast group on Facebook and we can totally talk about Eliza Van Cort. I look forward to seeing you there. And until then, ex Astra Scientia.
1: Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. Electric